0: The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out PodcastApps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's PodcastApps.com. Welcome
1: to Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. I'm Connie Thiessen. The history of black-owned radio in Canada only goes back 20 years when Denim, Jolly and Milestone Radio were granted a broadcast license for Toronto's first urban station, Flow 93.5. Fitzroy Gordon followed with the launch of G98-7 in 2011 after a hard-fought license battle over the objections of Rogers, Bell, Astral, Durham Radio and the CBC. Flo was sold to Chum in 2010 and eventually acquired by Stingray. And as for local black voices, there aren't any, with the only black personalities on air courtesy syndicated morning show The Breakfast Club out of New York City. With G987 now in receivership and the license up for grabs, a group of black voices from Canadian radio and the music industry are appealing to the CRTC to keep the station black-owned. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we're joined by Aubrey Clark, Nova Nicole, Ian-Andre Espinay, and Alicia West to talk about keeping the black voice on Canadian radio.
2: I'm Aubrey Clark. I started in radio in 2001 when Flow 93.5 first launched. It was the interesting story how I got into radio. It was because I actually thought I won a prize on air. <laughs> and I went down to the station to collect the prize and they told me they gave it away already. And the program director asked me to come into the office and speak to her for a while because she just moved to the country, didn't have any friends. And then she asked me what I did. And I said, I was in telecommunications. And she said, you should consider getting into radio. And I said, why? She goes, you know, how much money do you make in telecommunications selling phone systems? And at that time, I was, you know, young, making about 30000 a year. And she says, well, my friends in radio make 250000 So you should think about it. And to make a long story short, she gave me a reference. And, you know, and I got the job in the station that has been in a career for 19 years now. So I think if that station hadn't been Black-owned, you know, I probably would have never got the opportunity with no experience. You know, so that's that's my long and short of how I got into radio, and I love the industry. Right now, I'm on contract with, and I work for a company called Skywards Traffic. They've actually upgraded their name to Taurus Media Group. So they own about three radio stations, and they own Skywards Traffic. I sell advertising for them, and I also act as a director of business development. And on the other side of my company, I have a company called Envision Urban Media Sales and Marketing, and I buy radio advertising for clients all over Canada.
3: I'm Alicia Ace West, a radio personality. I most recently worked at Flow 93.5 before being let go in March, but I also worked in Detroit um, for a company called Radio One that's in 16 markets across the U.S. So I worked over there. I have experience in digital Um, I had like a whole advertising career before I really got my start in radio. So my start is very new, but yeah, it might have ended there. (laughs) Let's hope not. I don't know, but who knows?
4: We're going to see. We are going to see.
2: Well,
3: yeah.
2: We're right now.
4: I'm a member of the Alicia West fan club and um, (laughs) I'm Nova and I met, um, Aubrey and Ian, uh, 20 ish years ago when I was a 19 year old and I walked into flow, but, um, my like love of radio started many, many moons ago. Um, I'm eighth-generation Black Canadian from the Chatham-Windsor area. If you're familiar with Dresden, Buxton, Emersburg, what's up? So I lived and breathed Detroit radio. I knew what exit was coming, where I could get the signal to WJLB, hey. And um, it was just, that was my access to the Black voice. So um, when I heard that there was a station coming to Toronto in 1999, it just... The universe put me in the the hair salon the same time as the program director, and I never looked back. So from um, getting a start working on the street team and learning all the boards and doing all the live to airs and all of those fun things, working behind the scenes in radio, it was really the entry point to 12 years working in the music business, marketing, promotions, and PR in Toronto and Los Angeles. So without it, I, I wouldn't have been able to tap into my passion. I didn't I wouldn't have been able to touch base with the community. I wouldn't have found my voice. Yeah, no, radio is so crucial. It's been the b- very beginning of so much for me.
0: Nice. And I'm Ian Andre Espinay. I am a uh, 25-year veteran of the, what is called urban entertainment industry, um, which is the black music entertainment industry, um, first starting as a graphic designer designing Uh, album artwork and um, promotional materials for nightclubs and concerts, uh, before myself becoming a club and concert uh, promoter for the last 20 years. Um, I am a fan of radio, a uh, patron of radio, and a client of radio. Nova and uh, and Alicia uh, mentioned uh, Radio One, which was first known as Urban One, uh, which was created by Kathy Hughes, a black woman in the States. Um, I've listened to radio my entire life, whether it be in Toronto, uh, which has informed my musical um, history, whether it was CFTR or it was the um, historically Black radio shows like uh, uh, um Power Move or Dave's Dance Music, or whether it was listening to uh, The Quiet Storm on WBLK over in Buffalo. Um, so my life has uh, surrounded music and uh, I'm still here. Today we are advocating on behalf of the Black community uh, with a series called Breaking Down Racial Barriers with the Canadian Independent Music Association uh, which is going through aspect by aspect anti-Black racism in the music industry.
1: Awesome. So how did this group come together to start a petition around G98?
2: Basically I started the petition around G98-7 and then I reached out to friends in the industry to support me. So Basically, uh, with my experience with the Taurus radio group, I was able to sit on 10 CRTC panels, which gave me a lot of insight into the way that the CRTC works and their diversity of voices initiative. Under the diversity of voices initiative, it says that every community should have diversity of voice and ownership, editorial voice, and programming. With G98-7 being the only Black-owned radio station left, I thought it was crucial to start this petition to ensure that the Black community does not lose its radio voice. That radio voice is so crucial to the mental and emotional health of our community, as well as continuing to have gateways for people in our community to be able to get into the industry. A perfect example is Flow 93.5. Myself, Nova, and Alicia got our starts there, right? Nova and myself got our starts when the station was owned by a Black group, as well as many other influential Black people in the media industry now. If you look at Flow 93.5 now, it's no longer Black-owned and there's no longer a Black Canadian radio voice on that station, right? So when we don't own our own voice, we don't have that, uh, that gateway to come into the industry. You know, Alicia, she could speak more about that and her experience over there herself. So I thought it was crucial to start this petition to let the CRTC know that they need to stick with their original mandate and the reason why they gave the 98.7 frequency to the black community in the first place.
1: Right. And I, I think it's it's been well documented that, you know, Flow 93.5 as an urban station no longer has any Black talent on air. And it raises the question, how important is that in connection with the urban format?
3: Well, I feel like it's very important because it's representation. Like, I went to school back in 2012 for radio and I knew instantly that this wasn't a place that I was necessarily going to work because yeah, flow was had changed at that point, I think. Um, And then there was only G and I just never really felt like there was a place for me. And that's why I interned in DC. That's why I had to move to New York. That's why I had to move to Detroit. I had to move to these places because that was the only place that I felt like I could actually get a job and work. And so it's like having an urban station and, claiming that you're for the culture, but then it doesn't represent the culture, the, the people that own and drive the culture, it's discouraging.
1: I had a conversation with Aubrey before this about the interesting license aspect of g 987 in that once an urban track starts hitting, it can no longer be played under the terms of the specialty license. Does anyone want to talk about that?
2: Yeah, so basically, in the terms of the specialty license, the station is only allowed to play 10% hit music. So what's interesting, artists like Drake, for instance, or The Weeknd, when they put out a song, it qualifies as CanCon for the first year, so they can play it in a higher rotation. But after the first year of it being on the charts, they, it falls into that 10% category. A song like from an artist like The Original Coffee, who's topped the charts and won a Grammy, where her music starts off at subcategory 33, in the specialty format but once it hits the charts then it falls into the hit category and then that can only be played in that small 10 percent.
3: and i think like it's really interesting the way that g operates i never really knew that um that's interesting because it's like okay cool you can break new artists you have the ability to play this newer fresher music that the typical stations like flow and then like you know, Kiss and Virgin tap into, that's what people want, right? They don't want the the same hits over and over and over again. So it's refreshing to be able to turn to G and see like more newer music. But then it also sucks when the coffees does make it into the hit rotation because Flo didn't play it. We played it for a day, right? And then it was like, no, it's not going to test well. And you take it off, right? So it's like it got to this point where it's the song of the summer but it's not big enough to play on a flow or a virgin and a kiss. And then it's too big to play in G. So it kind of gets lost in the middle.
0: And and I think that that's interesting because uh, Alicia um, pointed to representation and she talked about representation as a person trying to work in the field. But I think also pertinent to the conversation is the fact that as long as the the lion doesn't have a voice. The hunter will always be the hero of the story. And it's like, we're not controlling our narrative. So when you talk about something like the coffee record, we're good enough to break the record, but not good enough to keep the record. And that is that is uh, problematic. And it speaks to so many of the issues with this current radio situation in terms of, what the perception of blacks in society is, if we're not telling the story, what the narrative about us, what stereotypes are created and, and, and then as well as succession for people like Alicia or even black kids who are coming up in the school system thinking, where is there a place for me? And why would I even enter this field? And so it, it particularly can become like swimming where black people weren't allowed in swimming pools until a certain year where, It becomes a narrative that it's just something that we don't do. So there are no Black people in radio, but why? You know what I mean? Well, we've been systemically excluded by not having a voice and a voice that we control.
1: I find it interesting that this issue has sort of arisen, you know, concurrent to the larger issue of systemic racism.
2: Definitely. Talking about systemic and institutional racism, that that's the perfect example right so there's something that we own that we produce but we don't control you know to me that's like having the slave masters say hey go work in the field i'll treat you good you know i mean you you make you plant all this stuff you produce for me and i reap all the rewards that's how i feel about it right so that's how i feel about somebody else owning the black voice You know, all of a sudden there's an issue in the community and we want to talk about it, but then that owner will look at us and say, well, if we talk about that on the radio, it might reduce our ratings and we can't reduce our ratings. So I don't want you to talk about
4: it. Mm, The intention (laughs) and the, the, the trust is not there because the reason for someone playing a song or not playing a song, taking on an issue or not, is completely different when those decisions are made by someone who is living within the community. What it really comes down to is a sense of belonging, and it's just absolutely unacceptable that people like my family who've been here since 1830 or immigrants who've been here for 50 plus years have no voice in a city like Toronto, the most diverse city in the world, Mm -hmm. NBA champions, I'll just add that, and a place where the greatest talent is coming out of here. So it just doesn't make sense. This math is not adding up and it's absolutely not acceptable. And I don't think that it's a coincidence at all that this is just one of so many reflections of systemic racism. It's unacceptable.
1: So as a group, you believe that there should be a classification for Black radio, uh, just like there is for Native radio. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. We need that protection. Definitely need that protection. My thing is... If the station fails as a Black-owned radio station, then it should be turned over to another Black group to run it and control our voice, right? Just like indigenous radio was run by another group, and when it wasn't working out for them, APTN took it over, right? It never left the indigenous community, right? And I think that's what it needs to stay with us. There are no more frequencies in Toronto. Toronto has the largest Black population in Canada. And without a voice here, a broadcast voice here, then the CRTC is not meeting their mandate for diversity of voices. So that's what I'm saying, that doesn't matter who wins that bid in the receivership. The CRTC really has to take into consideration that we have a public broadcast spectrum and the people's voice matters. We have over 11,000 people who've signed that petition already to say that, no, it's unacceptable. We have Mayor John Tory, the Premier Doug Ford, Andrew Horwith. The whole NDP Black Caucus and NDP party as well as others have stepped up to say that it is unacceptable for the station not to be Black-owned.
0: I just wanted to intervene there for mm-hmm. a second to speak to the idea of the station failing in the first place in as much right. as there are so many systemic barriers that have been placed in its in its, in its way. Thank um, you, the yeah. station um, was almost set up to fail in as much as the you know, like we could talk about everything from the the classifications of the music, you know to calling it urban to segregating it from itself to you break the music and we 'll take it from here, all of these things, as well as the stereotypes and and things that trickle their way up or down, whichever way you want to call it, to the ad agencies that say that we are only dealing with stations that have this many stations in their spectrum, or just basically brands that say that they are not going to advertise on a black station because of the stigmas attached to it. Um, all of these things are systemics that have been placed in the way of the success of that station. And consequently, you know, people will look at it and say, well, it failed, so why should they have it? But we have to look at the larger elements of why it failed in the first place.
4: Mm-hmm. And the standard of what that success looks like. There's been people in this community, small businesses in this community who have been fighting to have their voice heard and shared for the past 20 years. And then 20 years prior to that, It's just not acceptable, not in the 21st century, that this should even be a a consideration. It's not a consideration, it's a responsibility that the CRTC has, like full stop.
0: A fun fact about what Nova just said, I unearthed the newspaper article of my mother, who was the second Black woman lawyer in Ontario, in 1984, and on the cover of Share magazine, in the same cover that she was on, it said, the need for Black radio. This fight has been going on for years, forever, as long as I can remember.
3: And even when I speak to like, my people in the States, the program directors in the States, they just think it's crazy that we don't have anything at all. Like, It's just mind-blowing. Like, You can go to a market and have at least two focus radio stations, any
4: market. Much smaller than Toronto with 7 million people in the greater Toronto area. And what happens is that talent like Alicia and so many others behind the scenes or musicians have to leave in order to get by and support or have, again, that sense of belonging. And it's just when we can have them here. Look what happens from top to bottom across industries in this city and beyond of what happens when we nurture the talent that we have. Why would radio be any different?
2: Right. When you talk about barriers, like even with we talk about the barriers of even the rating system, the numerist rating system mm-hmm. is set up to isolate, you know, the community stations or urban stations. They don't send out surveys based on diversity and demographics like they do in the U.S. In the U.S., they send out the surveys according to the census data. Here, they send it out to the general public, and the majority of people who get those meters aren't even from any of the communities. So therefore, the stations are always going to be lower on the rating scales, which means less national dollars that come in. So all of that also contributes. And, And one great thing about what's happened with this whole George Floyd stuff is that systemic racism is out in the public now and the government has recognized it. corporations have recognized it and they've pledged money into the black community so now now that they're finally recognizing it if we lose this station at this point you know to somebody else uh, to own it they're the ones that are going to reap the reward of our pain and our suffering
1: let's talk about where this is all at August 28th was the deadline for offers. What's your knowledge of where things stand, Aubrey? And right. how many Black-owned groups have made a, made a pitch?
2: Well, the deadline was moved to September 8th. That's next Tuesday. After that goes in, I think there's 60 groups that pitched, And I'm not sure exactly how many of them are Black-owned. I know that there are several that are Black-owned here's the here's the issue around that whole bidding process is that you'll have a black-owned group that will look at what the station is valued at say for for argument's sake the the station is valued at two million dollars right so that black-owned group will go in and say okay i'll bid 2.5 million dollars for that station and then a more established radio group or somebody who's had opportunities you know, due to privilege over the years will have even more money to say, you know what, I'll pay $3 million over asking because I understand that this license later on, if I can flip out of this format or make this format viable, I'll make a lot of money. So I'm going to outbid the community. To me, that adds to more systemic issues. And and that's unacceptable. So what's going to happen is when the bid goes forward and the receiver decides who gets it, And there's a possibility that one of the existing shareholders might come up with the money and go to court to stop the process even if his majority ownership or her majority ownership whatever is not black owned we're still in the same situation so we're taking this all the way to the crtc and we're going to fight for that designation of black voices you know to ensure the community never loses that and to see what the crtc says about their diversity of voices and
1: ownership. Is there a note that any of you would like to conclude on? I wanted to
0: to make a point that I, I thought was, was very important here too. Um, as you're probably all aware, the majority of the music in the world is Black music anyway, whether we're talking about rock or whatever it may be. Um, the predominant culture of the world is hip hop, R&B, soul music. All of these are Black musics. Coincidentally, all of these musics are played on other stations who... Um, in my opinion, should not be excluded from a conversation on systemics as well. Uh, That includes flow, that includes KISS, that includes Virgin, that includes Z103, that includes CHUM or whichever other stations are playing Black music across this nation that do not have Black voices uh, heard because again we do not see a reflection of ourselves and we are members of a society that we and we deserve to be a part of it especially as we are the culture of the world.
4: I want to jump on that Ian because something that Aubrey had spoke to is about the value of this station and it's far beyond monetary. Value is considered of your time, your treasure and your talent. This station is so valuable and to not a community because I don't want that to feel like it's a small a small group of the population. Mm-hmm. this is very valuable to this population far beyond monetary it's a sense of belonging a sense of identity a sense of pathways a sense of future and again a sense of authenticity there's no reason why i should not be able to turn on the radio and hear a voice that sounds like mine mm-hmm. it's very very simple and i'm not and it's just at the point the black people are not asking this is a responsibility, we're contributing to society, and no longer are we going to sit back and deem it acceptable, we can all see what's happening, we all see the barriers in place, and we can see that options have been made for other populations in Canada. Why would this be different? Not acceptable.
3: And then Not also- in 2020. And we also have to allow the talent that does get in those positions to be themselves and be authentic and not feel like they have to change themselves to be able to fit in to essentially like the whitewashing of whatever the upper
4: executives have in mind.
1: Yeah, that's a Um, fantastic point.
4: And the Americanizing too of it. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that because the Black Diaspora is a large place and people don't need to assimilate to whatever the African-American radio experience sounds like because it's not the same here. You cannot bring in a morning show that's based out of New York and think that that's going to connect with the Toronto audience in the same way. It's not. It's different, very and I, and, different.
0: And I also wanted to make the point that we continually talk about the Black community it, the Black community is not the only consumer of Black culture. The population of the Black community may be 3.9% or 8.8% in Toronto or whatever it may be. But mm-hmm. again, as I stated, the the culture is the predominant culture of the world. And so it's being ingested by kids of every nationality, by adults of every nationality and, and race. And then in terms of uh, Nova's conversation about uh, what success looks like, the absence of Black radio in canada and the black absence of black radio in toronto also undermines our ability to scale it also undermines our ability to create new talent and develop and develop new artists etc you know, and build, frankly, large corporations for myself, like Live Nation, or festivals, or or get sponsorship, or endorsements, or develop personalities like Alicia, or create opportunities for employment for the community, um, which is vastly underrepresented. So um, it's a critical, critical voice.
2: And the last thing that we probably didn't mention is that the people in the community that get healing from hearing their own people on the radio. You know, when you talk about the talk show like The Grapevine, when people from the community call in and voice their concerns and able to speak to the issues that are happening in our community. I think that's that's really crucial, right? I remember uh, a couple of years back, a friend of mine had fallen off the cliff in Trinidad and broken her pelvis and we have to raise money to bring her back in an air ambulance. And G98 was crucial in getting the word out to the community and helping us raise money to get her back here, right? Uh, even when you talk about covid or anything else going on we get the word out to our community and people trust hearing it from their own people right mm-hmm. so i think that's what's important
1: well we'll be watching this thank you all we hey, for- for- <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for joining me for this really important discussion thank you
3: thank you no problem thank you, thank you. Thank you.
1: Our thanks to Ian-Andre Espinay, Aubrey Clark, Alicia West, and Nova Nicole. You can find a link to sign the 98.7 petition at change.org or on our podcast feature page at broadcastdialogue.com. For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Thiessen.
4: Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry,
1: visit us at broadcastdialogue.com.
4: Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud.
0: I'm Matt Kundel, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.